Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I would like to thank our sponsor, QVAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps fundraisers perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical tasks, developing deep personal relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their prospects. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Colleagues, is your organization thinking about a capital campaign, hiring a new development officer, or taking your fundraising efforts to another level? How about inviting myself and another member of Responsive's consulting team to facilitate a two-day sense-making experience for your team? Our two-day sense-making retreats are custom-designed to ensure that your entire team is making sense of what's most working in your favor and what's getting in your way. If this sounds like something you might be interested in, click the simple form in the show notes and we'll be happy to arrange an introductory call. Noah and Laurel, I am delighted to have you here on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. Uh, you're both members of the consulting team here at Responsive. A lot of people probably because of social media and stuff might recognize your name. Uh, a lot of people who are listening might know who you are, but uh, because somebody might not. Um, how about we start before we dive into our conversation today? How about we very quickly let you introduce yourselves? Uh, Laurel, why don't you uh, kick us off? Yeah. Hey, Jason. Hey, Noah. It's good to see you guys. Um, my name is Laurel Teal, and I'm happy to be a member of the responsive team. Um, I'm located in Birmingham, Alabama currently. Uh, just moved here from a little south, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and I am currently in development role at Pathways. We're a homeless shelter um, that serves women and children in Birmingham. And who are you, Noah? Who am I? Yeah, thank you very much. Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be back. Thank you for inviting me back, Jason. And I'm just stoked to be part of the responsive fundraising team. Uh, I am Noah Girding. I am uh, geographically in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, the great state of Minnesota. I currently I just started a new role at an organization called Sholom Foundation. We are a independent, assisted, memory, hospice, really beautiful communities around the Twin Cities for seniors and older adult populations and their families. And I am a development director. Fascinating. Great. I did, I did, uh, uh, you and I got to catch up on that as we talked about we before totally the record button. Yeah, we got to catch up on that because uh, I wasn't I wasn't in the loop on that. All right. So uh, I asked the two of you to come on here because I I I put out a as both of you know, I put out a uh, white paper last week on behalf of responsive about what we call the messy middle lane. <laughs> 
And, uh, and the thing like totally took off. And so I reached out to the two of you. Uh, the, the, the three lanes is a concept that you're all, you two are very much familiar with. And, uh, we've spent a lot of time, a lot of time as a team talking about what the three lanes mean. And in particular, this relationship between lane one and lane two. And so I said, Hey, Noah, Hey, Laurel, why don't we get together and have a conversation and sort of deconstruct this, uh, this surprising response to this, uh, to this post that I put out last week on LinkedIn. So, um, so we'll just start with you, Laura, Laurel, Laura, Laurel. We'll start with you. Um, why do you think, why do you think, let's just kind of sit on this question for a little while. Why do you think that this idea of the messy middle lane is like resonating with people like right now? Is there a particular reason why that might be? Um, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think that um, if we're going to talk in terms of lane one and lane two, lane two being the messy middle, I think that lane two, um, it's unpredictable. And as we've seen um, with our current climate with um, recently the pandemic and then also um you know, gas prices and everything that's going on in our country, the instability, um, I think it's shown that no matter, you know, how much we can try to control um, our donors and what we we need from them, um, it's showing us that we really need to dive into that lane too, that messy middle to really connect with our donors. um, Because, as we saw, a lot of people relied on that lane one with some face-to-face interaction. And unless you were like really tech savvy and you're able to pivot and do things virtually during the pandemic, I think that a lot of people, a lot of organizations got left behind um, if you weren't able to do that pivot. Um, And that's when I feel like I was able to really dive in and build relationships because we weren't able to see each other face to face anymore. But I think it has a lot to do with our current current climate and where we're at today. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Generally, I, I think Laurel, you use the word connection. And I think if there's one word or, or feeling that the last, you know, few cycles of the sun and moon have, have really highlighted is that people are human connection and, and there's a there's a really strong need for that um, Jason your post last week elevated the idea that that connection can look different over time that you know the concept of relationships can actually evolve and it, it's kind of right there that I, that I find the most value in the work and it's kind of where this beautiful mess and this messy middle begins right and I think I think that's a little bit um, I think that's a little bit scary personally and vulnerably and, and to varying degrees. I think that's one reason that, you know, gift officers or fundraising leaders jump straight to like, Oh, it jumps straight to the avoidance or it's, it's, it's a little bit too much. It's a little bit too real. Yeah. You know, when I think about Laurel, when I think about the conversations you and I have, you've spent a lot of your fundraising career in lane one and, 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 and when, when the concept was introduced to you a number of years ago, it really sort of, it, it helped you sort of start to sort of piece together, you start making sense of sort of what some of the challenges and the opportunities were in this sort of work. Why, 
Laura, why is it, do you think that a lot of us end up in that lane one? Because that, that's definitely a concept. And, and maybe, Laurel, you can sort of help us for, for some of our listeners who are not familiar with the three lanes. And folks, for our listeners, we'll put the uh, we'll put some information about the three lanes concept in our in our show notes. But, um, Laurel, why, why, why do you think it is that a lot of these fundraisers end up sort of spending a lot of their professional time sort of entrenched in lane one fundraising? Um, well, for me, just drawing on my personal experience, when I first entered the fundraising world, I kind of fell into the role of fundraising. I mean, I'm gifted with connection. I'm able to connect with humans. I like to talk. I like to build relationships. And then it just turned out that this was a perfect career for me. But I remember yeah. on my first day, I was actually telling Noah this uh, when we talked this week, you know, on my first day, I started and um, they walked up to me and they handed me this golf tournament that was already in progress of being planned. Um, right. You know, my first day and they were like, here you go. Have fun. This is our big fundraiser for the fall. Here you go. And I was right. like, um, OK, I've never really done a, a golf tournament before, but I guess I'll wing it. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I I mean, day one in the gate, it was it was an event which we at Responsive classify as a lane one event, yeah. which as we talk about as a team, those those events are meant to say thank you to your donors and not yeah. to really be, you know, what you build your budget off of. And so yeah. it was very clear to me that this was a very important part of our budget and I had to pull it off and make it successful from day one. And then as soon as the golf tournament's over, oh wait, it's time to plan our spring event. So when I talk about like I'm a lane one expert. I'm a lane one expert. I mean, I spent the first four years of my career thinking that it was my job to just plan parties and post on social media and update the website. And while all of those are very important things, I feel like they're meant to be more complimentary to the lane two that we talk about, which is our building meaningful relationships and yeah. connections. And instead of just hitting people up twice a year and conditioning our donors to believing that they only have to give those two times a year when we're doing these big fundraisers, that is actually a relationship that we can have, you know, throughout the year instead of these two times a year where we're hitting them with a hard ask. Um, it really, I mean, like I said, I mean, I've been in the middle of it. So, um, La Laurel, so we, so you show up, I, I think, I think that's why I I've been so excited about the conversations that you and I have had and we've had as a team is the idea that sort of your narrative as a fundraiser, I mean, you show up on day one and, and they sort of hand you this sort of this smorgasbord of, of lane one sort of responsibilities and, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, you know, as I've gotten to know you as an individual person, you know, one of the things that I think is so detrimental to fundraising professionals as, as human beings is we're highly conversational people. And we oftentimes sort of get, we get, we get sort of compelled into this work, right? So we're at, we're invited to come into this work, which sounds like was, was your experience. But then on day one, we automatically sort of sometimes we automatically sort of the, the, the switch sort of gets turned off and all of the strengths that an individual like yourself sort of gets hired for all of a sudden get forgotten and you have to become this event planner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you're yeah, one of the most conversational like people I, I know. And, 
And we can't maximize that that ability on your part to be conversational with donors because you're always planning galas and golf tournaments. Right. I felt like from day one, they threw the machine at me and the machine. Right. It was supposed <laughs> to run itself, but I was supposed to run the machine. But then we forget on the other side of the machine, there are these people and these yes. people want us to lead them to make a difference, to fulfill that, that need to make an impact in their community. And we forget all about that because we're too over consumed with this machine. And, um, I, I, that's what led me to pursue, you know, other positions because I felt like I had reached my growth potential because that meaningful work that I was supposed to be doing really wasn't non-existent. I mean, I was a a party planner, so yeah. You know, Noah, and it's, it's a, to kind of reflect us. So, so for some of our guests, I mean, some of our listeners, you'll remember that Noah, you were on the podcast here, I don't know, 18 months ago. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a direct correlation between this, 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 this interest and perhaps this appeal of navigating sort of the unpredictability and the messiness and the complex of what we're referring to as the messy middle um, as it relates to the work that we talk about doing, because you're in Minneapolis which is which is a city that's been through some pretty hard times in the last couple of years, and you know probably one of my favorite conversations that I've had. I mean, isn't isn't what it means? Because what you and I talked about, Noah, on that particular podcast, isn't what it means to sort of raise money in places like Minneapolis in the midst of the challenges that a city like that has faced over the last couple of years. Sorry, folks, I don't want to do galas and golf tournaments. I want to take people out to lunch and I want to push them to higher levels of, you know, understanding of what's really going on in a city like that. Um, Isn't that really what it's about? Yeah, quite simply. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's always been very difficult to try to reconcile. I mean, logic tells me that as a relational human, as I think the two of you are, like we all are, like, the intersection of, of your timeline of a relationship will never match an annual budget cycle. It's never going to match a, you know, so you can't really put them together and expect, you know, the world to change. But what you can do is really lean into somebody's sense of belonging and understanding of their purpose and the, and the mission of, of the organization and the greater, you know, impact of convening members and community towards what we're all doing. And I think, you know, I think a part of, what I've taken in the last couple of jobs is that you, one can't learn the culture of giving or even the organization or agency's culture. You know, you're not going to be able to understand that in the first three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, like let alone begin to really understand and map out intentionally and meaningfully where your supporters are at on their journey and in their continuum. So I think it's often, Again, back to the reason that we're talking here, I think it's often this critical relational inflection point that so many organizations, they just, it's too scary. They retreat inward. I, I, I kind of go outward. I'm like, well, tell me about that, right? Like, what does that feel like? How hard was that for you as a donor to, to work with? And I just, instead of bringing to Laurel, to your point, instead of bringing them along in a deep relationship, we rely solely so often on things that are controllable or, um, you know, if it's revising a case for support or putting all efforts into an event or, you know, resharing their strategic plan with different words and pictures, but it's the same goals and KPIs that aren't, we're not moving any needles. So I think, um, 
yeah, I, I think that's really the core of it is the relational aspect of this work. Laurel, when you and I met, we met at this, so we were hosting, we, we, there was a big event in Birmingham and there was about 80 people in the room. And I think about the number of times that I've been in a room like that, where there's generally sort of 50 to 60 to maybe a hundred people in the room. And in that case, I think it was about 80, 85 people in that, in that room. That was the AFP chapter there in Birmingham. And Laurel, how many people do you think out of those 85 sort of are frustrated with the job descriptions that a lot of us get handed that basically are, are sort of, they're built around that machine to use your word. They're sort of built around sort of building this very highly productive, you know, uh, machine that, you know, feeds and sort of fuels this desire for efficiency, predictability, and control. Um, but they can't get into that messy middle because the job description and the design and the way that the operation works just won't let them do that. How many people you think were in that room like that? Ooh, so there are about 85 people there, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you uh I'm gonna give you five people that maybe enjoy their job because they are truly in the marketing field and that's what they love. Yeah. But I would be willing yeah. to bet that about 80 of them are, you know, <laughs> underwhelmed as, you know, and that's that's another conversation that, you know, we could have another day about how fundraising is not marketing and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, and, sure. But yeah. anyway, I would be willing to bet that a lot of people in that room were really just frustrated um, and kind of maybe feeling the way that I felt that I was being held back from what I was meant to do because, I was staying busy with all these other things when really all I wanted to do was to be able to go take someone to lunch, you know? Okay. When you say that, okay, you got to unravel that. So the job description was not allowing you to, um, so, so one of the things we talk about, uh, at responsive is the idea that we're raising expectations. We want to raise expectations for the person in your seat so that we can therefore raise expectations of the donor who you want to go have lunch with. So are you basically suggesting, Laurel, that the, the that the culture a lot of us sort of inherit in the pattern of work that we sort of get stuck in is just conditioned on low expectations and you were and that's why it's so yeah, you know, is it is it overwhelming or is it under did you say under or overwhelming? And, well, and is it I maybe it both? Be both. <laughs> um under, <laughs> underwhelming in the sense that I didn't really feel like I was being fulfilled in the role. And overwhelming in that I was having to do all these other things that seem to contradict what we really want. And it's um, sustainable funding. And the way to do that is through relationships with meaningful relationships with donors. And so um, I, you know, I think my experience was kind of different. I don't know, maybe more people can relate to it than I think, but I just think that you know, we were in a place where why change it if it, if this is what's working? If you're still seeing, you know, your meeting numbers and all, and, you know, all of this, your budget is stable, um, why change what's already working? And then also we get into like the management piece of it and like the board piece of it of, you know, board expectations and how doing work in that mis- messy middle lane is unpredictable. And also it takes time. So I can go throw an event in the fall. I can sell X amount of tickets for X amount of dollars and be, quote, guaranteed 
to make X profit, but to court a donor for six months, nine months, a year, two years to get a large gift, meaningful gift, do we really have time to wait on that process? I think is a is a question for management leadership, board members, and really looking at their expectations of what they think that their development director should be doing. Jump in there, Noah. Yeah, well, I mean, you, Laurel, you, you, and I think Jason, you said this the other week on this on your the post on LinkedIn, but it was, you know, this the uncontrollable aspect of this concept of time. And yeah. that piece of knowing, to Laurel's point about everything else that is behind the work, that takes a lot of time. Um, the best examples I have of, you know, meaningful support or work have happened over a, over a three to five to sometimes even six or seven year time frame. But the organization internally understood that the investment in time is what makes those gifts happen, not in the other stuff that Laurel is talking about. So I've totally been stuck in that kind of like push-pull pursuit, if you will, that happens when job descriptions may not be in full alignment with individuals or team strengths and fundraising priorities. Yeah. Speaking of lane one, Noah, you got an interesting piece of mail. Do you want to share? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So I was walking walking to the mailbox three, four days ago and opened it up. And there's this beautiful, beautiful package with this lovely picture of a child. And for me, you know, children, and that's you have my heartstrings at the photo. And I turn it over as I get inside uh, our front door. And the quote on the envelope to try to get me to open it, like their string, their custom string of text on this mailed piece was, make one gift now to help a child and we'll never ask you for a gift again. What? Never. 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 Nope, never. Nope, never. Do it now and we'll never, we'll never come back to you. So that's the piece of mail I got. Like imagine like I like I'm I'm not gonna do that because <laughs> I actually want a relationship with a with a charitable organization. Um and that one that one was really a turnoff to me. I don't know. Oh, well, how would you feel if you got that in the mail? Yeah, my thought was how many people did they actually send that to and how many people did they think that that, that would respond enough to meet their threshold of never having to ask again? Um, and then it's also like, okay, I'll, I'll send you a check for 25 bucks and you're not going to contact me. You're not even going to say thank you. You'll never, we'll never hear from you again. Yeah. That's, well, I think, wild. yeah. And, and I think too, like, I think we've talked about this as a responsive team, like our, our supporters are so conditioned to so much noise, like mm -hmm. short snippets of noise that it's basically a barrage, like they're conditioned to doing anything to tune out. And so I, I think that this was a marketing play um, to that type of supporter, of which yeah. I'm not. Um, but I don't know. What do you think about that? That's So I would assume you threw it in the trash then. Um, no, I recycled it. 
We recycle here okay, in Minnesota. Okay. Yep. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. We just got that in Alabama, I think. Or oh, I good. did in my neighborhood. Anyway, <laughs> I would have probably thrown it away, definitely thrown it away, uh, maybe recycle, but um, to, that's a huge turnoff to me um, and just says that, you know, that level of avoidance of having to dive into actually calling someone, visiting with someone, developing a relationship, they'd rather spend money on Lord knows how many mailers to send out to not even that you probably haven't even met before that you bought off a list um, instead of tapping into someone that you already have in your database and, and cultivating that relationship with them and, you know, receiving a meaningful gift down the road. And I mm-hmm. think that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? No, I, I agree with you. And I, I was definitely turned off. Like, how dare you assume that that's my identity? Like that's as a human, like I have an identity. I have a, maybe not an archetype, but I, you know, I think from back to what we're talking about, like, I want to be understood and I want to be valued and I want to be heard as a prospect, you know, putting on my donor hat for a minute as a prospect and as a potential supporter. Um, But I, you know, and I I can share from a profession professional that for many donor meetings across ton of diverse nonprofit industries and missioned and across diverse donor groups, as I just posted on LinkedIn the other the other month, like that's really what it is. Like we just want to be known and we just want to be heard and we want to be understood. Um, and this organization did everything so that that may never happen, which is really sad because they're doing good work internationally. Yeah. So what would you say to that development director there? Return my call because I called them. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. This is the second one I've called. Um, did you get anybody on I the found line? Them on... What's that? Did you get anyone on the line? Yeah. So the first time I called a different organization um, after receiving multiple pieces of direct mail after my first gift, um, I was told that I was thrown into a quote unquote acquisition cycle. That was their direct response to me and that they would remove me from that cycle and remove me from receiving anything. And I said, wait, I'm a supporter. I don't want to not receive anything. They're like, well, do you want to talk to my supervisor? I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think we have we have our wires crossed. They were so constrained by structure and process that they couldn't have a human conversation with me. Um, and this, and the second one, I have not heard back from their VP of global acquisition or whatever her title is. I think she's based in like Arizona, and they do work all over the world. And it's been weeks, um, so I I don't know, but I know that it's. Uh, there are humans on the other other end of that acquisition company, but they're not Im- empowered to be human. Is that how much of that? All right, I want to hear both of your your thoughts on that. <laughs> so, how, how much of this? This how much of the uh, the uh, how much of this idea of the messy middle sort of resonates with people because we have allowed, say, for example, direct response companies to sort of drive this underlying assumption that we really don't want to talk to people because like the, 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 the appeal that you're talking about this idea that, look, we just want to get $25 out of you. And after we get our $25, we'll never talk to you again. Um, that, that, that just seems so desperate, but it also seems so 
counterintuitive for what um, it's, it's not what it, it's not what it means to, to exchange a gift, for example. I mean, what, I mean, what if, what if you said that to your grandmother, <laughs> you know, grandma Susie, we're going to exchange, you know, we'll exchange this gift this year at Christmas and we'll never exchange a gift again. I mean, that's not what a gift is. A gift is a gift exchange implies a relationship and it implies a relationship that's going to go somewhere beyond yes. that. That's oftentimes what the, that, I mean, that's what we know gifts to mean. Yeah. I think it's the classic example of us when we talk about um, prioritizing the transaction over the relationship. Um, I know if I called my grandmother, she'd be like, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Um, Because she cares about me and I care about her. And there's this dual sided relationship And I feel like it's the same way with our organizations and our donors and taking that human connection out of everything. It kind of, it comes off really kind of shysty too, in my opinion. It's like, we don't care about you. You don't matter, but send us a check. No, absolutely not. That's an absolutely not for me, but, um, but yeah, I think when we prioritize the transaction over that relationship, we're missing out big time. We're missing out on, um, you know, relationships who could very well support us, not only in the near future, but maybe potentially, you know, in the long awaited future and then after they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I might have shared this in a previous post, but I I try to I try to center the word supporter and, and gift more than you know the amount and the dollar and all of those. And yeah, there, there there's there's a reason that we have moves and that the reason that you know metrics exist. But I've always tried to imagine my conversations with supporters that didn't qualify as a major gift prospect. You know, I didn't enter it into I didn't enter that into my qualification meeting or anything else. And I just leaned into the aspect of their selfless generosity and why they've chosen to gift us, you know, a gift of time or tangible resources or sure if it was financial, great, but there was no immediate dollar amount expected or tied to the whole thing on the front end. So um, from there, after I put all that aside, like it's very easy for me to be in relationship with donors and, yeah, it's tough and it's hard and it works, but it takes time and it's super uncomfortable. And I'm raising my hand and waving because I have been reprimanded for doing just that, even though I have, it has produced, Laurel, to your point, multiple avenues of giving um, over many, many years in many, many different ways um, to include like soft credits and just the impact of one person's generosity can go far if you lean into the relationship. Right. Yeah. I like what you said about leaning in. I love that. I love, you know, no pretense of they're going to give me a huge check, just getting to know a person. I, y'all know I can talk to anyone about anything and that is genuinely what I love to do. And so I love just picking up the phone and calling someone and checking on them and just saying, Hey, like, how are you doing? What is going on Mm -hmm. in your life? Is there anything we could help you with? Here's what we have going on. No, no, no. You know, unless you really, really, really want to, to give us a gift, 
that's great. But I just wanted to let you know that we're here. We're thinking about you and that we care about you. And I think that goes a long way. I mean, I know as a human, all I want is someone to pick up the phone and call me and ask me how I've been. And I get it. It can be a little strange at first. You don't really know the person on the other end of the phone, especially maybe taking I took a new position in October. I'm calling a lot of strangers. They don't know me, but it has been overwhelming um, just the open arms that they have for me and just how happy they are to hear from me. It's amazing how many people before me in this position in development haven't picked up the phone. Like they have never heard anyone's voice from my organization and and they're hearing my voice. You know, it's very Southern country and I'm sure they're like, wow, who's this girl? You know, but they love it. And I'm just meeting them where they are and I am going to continue to build those relationships and steward them toward gifts that really make a difference here at my organization. I love that. Absolutely love that. I, I, um, I happened to pick up the phone the other day. We have a beautiful phone system here. I, I joined a large team of four at our organization and our phone system is such where we all see who's calling and who's, you know, what calls are coming in and we can all answer for one another. It's beautiful. And one of the calls I happened to pick up was from a donor who kept receiving annual, um, you know, life, life, life cycle celebration mailings from us to honor a dearly departed person from a memorial or tribute standpoint. And we were getting the name wrong. And I could tell when she called that she was really scared um, because we were making an error. But nobody had ever picked up this person's phone call. I looked in Razor's Edge and there were no actions, no notes, no engagement, no nothing. And so I just listened to her. And at the end of the call, Laurel, she said, thank you for listening. I so appreciate what you guys do for my aunt. And thank you for getting the information on the tribute right. No ask. Didn't need to be an ask, but I did need to be human. And she appreciated that more than anything else. So, yeah, it sounds like yeah, she just well, needed to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's, uh, I, I think in essence, the, the last couple, the thoughts that the two of you sort of packaged together there for the last five or 10 minutes here, as the two of you were sort of just going back and forth, I think you sort of inadvertently sort of answered the question. I think we've got people on both sides of this charitable gift exchange. I know we do. I mean, this is the nature of the work that we do. The two of you know this. I know this. Um, I we, We've all done this work long enough to know that you've got people on both sides of the exchange. And, and, and with that exchange of the gift also comes that desire for relationship and also comes that desire for conversation. And so just like the three of us have just had this very um, – you know, we know each other. We're sort of giving each other sort of this gift of time. Um, we're very conversational. We're, there's a friendship here. I think our donors sort of want that too. Um, and I, I think too, uh, when I sort of re- reflect on the reaction that we got last week from that, from that announcement, from the from the the post, um, I, I think the pandemic sort of opened up this. Uh, this awareness that these telephone calls like you're talking about, Laurel, I, I heard I heard here on the podcast a lot from fundraisers who were were actually doing that, who were picking up the phone, who were having those conversations much more frequently because it was really honestly the only tool that they had. The special event wasn't working for them. That gala and that golf tournament totally got unplugged. 
there was nothing they could do about that. And so if the donor wasn't necessarily responding by mail or, you know, whatever, if, 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 if you weren't literally, um, the telephone was all we had. And, um, and so, and so maybe that's perhaps part of that answer, uh, to the question that we're asking, um, before I, before we wrap up, I want to allow the two of you to just sort of reintroduce yourselves and let people know who you want. So one of the things we, we do, and you've both heard me do this, you've both heard, you've both heard me do this on the podcast. Who's that person you want to hear from? Because there's probably somebody out there who's interested in the services that we provide at Responsive, who may be interested in doing some consulting work with either of you. Um, remind people who you are. Uh, we'll put in, we'll put your contact information in the show notes, but um, who's that person you want to hear from? Yeah, I'm Laurel Teal, and I'm a development director in an organization serving homeless women and children in Birmingham, Alabama. I want to hear from anyone in the Southeast who, like me, wants to do meaningful work, connect with your donors, and really find out how to dive into the messy middle. Yeah, thanks. I, again, I'm, I'm Noel Gerding. I'm here in um, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, I think pretty much for me, anybody in the Midwest who, um, as a fundraiser, as a fundraising leader, as a volunteer, anybody connected to the this nonprofit sector, if you've had pain or if things that if you've experienced things that just don't make sense, like I would love to have a conversation with you about that. Yeah, you're, you're both very thoughtful. I'm delighted to have you on the team. You're always welcome back. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.